2: Hello, and welcome back to the Psych Legal Pop podcast. This is a podcast where we talk about popular culture through the lens of an attorney and a therapist. I'm the therapist, Tess Brigham. And I'm Brooke Brigham. I'm the attorney. So today we are covering the Net- Netflix documentary, Wham! And, um, I don't know, hi- highlights? Because I really like this. I like <laughs> yeah. this so much more than I thought I was going to.
1: I loved it. And, you know, I have to say, those two men... Andrew Ridgely and Mm -hmm. George Michael, they're really phenomenal people. Yes, they are. Both of them in their own ways. Yeah. And the way that they helped each other. Yes. Helped each other, encouraged each other. I mean, what a beautiful story of a friendship. I mean, that that really was what the movie at its core was about. A really beautiful friendship.
2: You know, it's so interesting because you know, if you take a step back and look at the story and the tale of Wham, and then what happens with George Michael's Michael after that, um, you would think the classic tale is that Andrew would be resentful and angry. And there would be all the stuff that went on between Mm -hmm. the two of them. And that, that George, you know, he had all the glory and he cast Andrew aside. And it really was this beautiful, beautiful thing. And Andrew Ridgely, who, I have such tremendous respect for Mm -hmm. who I mean, and you you have to understand at the time that this was happening, they were like from 19 to 25. So this was a 25, 26 year old man Mm -hmm. who was able to say, I'm not. This isn't my thing. This isn't about me. This isn't about me. This is not my thing. You are so much more talented than I am. Mm -hmm. You go and you flourish and I'll be here, you know, um, cheering you on. And. After George Michael died, they asked him, "Like, when was the last time you talked to him?" They were playing like Scrabble online together up until right the week before he died. Yeah, they still kept in touch, and even then, even Andrew said, "Like, I also knew that once George went to that new place, that I probably wouldn't see him that much. Like, we wouldn't hang out as much. Like, mm-hmm. and it was almost this not this resentment or anger or anything. It was just like, and I and I recognized that like they cared and loved about e- each other so much." Mm-hmm. That it was really about how, you know, it was about this these two boys that found each other. Yeah. And it's a really beautiful story. It's, it it's, really it is. It really is. And they
1: both said that they always knew that Wham! was not going to last that long because it was about youth. Mm-hmm. It was about their experience of them coming up together and forming this uh, group. And, and 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 it had a shelf life. Mm-hmm. And when that shelf life was over it was over and there was no bitterness about it but you know uh andrew really excuse me he really like purposefully supported george to let him know like how great he was because Mm -hmm. george did not have great self-esteem no and andrew just built him up and encouraged him so much and the other thing that's fascinating about this documentary is that there's absolutely no narration mm-hmm. it's as if they just were planning on making this documentary about their whole lives the entire time mm-hmm. because the footage is such that it's like you feel like somebody back in you know 1980 or what you know from that a lot of footage from their youth yes their childhood when wham started uh, they're coming up it's like who had the foresight to be filming all of this and who was filming all of this? Well, Andrew's mom put together scrapbooks. So, she she yeah, was well, like she was who, the one that Who was, was filming all of this? Well, you this. know, I
2: did some research and I was looking to see if I could learn anything more about this film director and he did the film director is named Chris Smith. And um and yeah, that's what he said. He said it's very much about the film was very much about this time of youth that It was beautiful, but it couldn't be sustained Mm -hmm. time of their lives and that he wanted to use all voiceover because he didn't want to show, you know, and they did a really good job. Of I, I believe all of the interviews with Andrew was new, but they they felt it was it would be too jarring to like keep cutting back to, to Andrew talking. Right. It was the fact that they didn't want it to feel like George was missing. Right. Like it, it was the story of Wham and the two of them together. Right. And and they worked with the George Michael Enterprise or Foundation, whoever's left with his estate, and got all of and got a bunch of his interviews, got various interviews at various places, things that he talked about. The other thing was that, and this is why, in some ways, you know, we get Andrew now as a 60 year old man kind of reflecting on it. But at the same time, what's so interesting is you hear when George talks about his past, he's able to reflect on it too in a very mature way. Mm -hmm. Even before, you know, 20 years before he passed, he was able to go, my ego got in the way of this and then I felt this, I felt that. Like this, they had, the two of them had such maturity Mm -hmm. for two young men. There was such maturity. Yeah. So those were interviews
1: he had done throughout his life because yeah, there's a George voiceover as well. And that's him. It's just not obviously present day, but there was a lot of footage. Yes. I mean, yes. they had a lot to work with. They did. And it really it was, it was so well made.
2: And I think I kind of kept expecting that wham stuff to end. And I kept waiting for like, okay, there's going to be this George Michael solo career section. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I was like, oh no, no it's not this about, is about wham. This is about wham. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's called wham. So <laughs> I remember so clearly, well, not that clearly, but I remember so clearly being, I think it was that at dad's house because he has a, he had cable mm-hmm. and MTV, MTV and I remember that wake me up yeah. before you go go and when they played it on the sh- in the the documentary I was like god damn this is catchy <laughs> I'm like, It's a great song it's a great song I'm just like yeah. what? you know and I do I remember so distinctly watching it and thinking like I like the song but these guys look different They were different. They were pouring this bright color in these sports that I'm sure dad made some kind of offhand comment about like, who are these guys? Like, Why are these guys bebopping around and jumping around? Because it was, what was interesting about them was that they, they were like, we wanted it to be fun. Mm -hmm. You know, we wanted, we wanted to project fun. We wanted to project silly and that. At the time before that, there was such this idea of what does it mean to be a rock star? Mm-hmm. You know, what does it mean to do that? And they were very much like, "No, we're pop. We want pop. We like. We're pop. not trying to be serious. Yeah, we're and, yeah. and, and we're having fun. Yeah. And and when George is dancing around the stage, it might look really goofy, but it was it was almost this thing of, what's wrong if it's goofy? Right. What's wrong? What's if we're wrong not with cool? being happy what's and
1: wrong, having fun? Yeah. yeah. And um, you know, it's funny in my mind. All these years, I always thought, this is very, like, you know, Amer- American-centric, we think everything's about us, but, like, I just remember thinking that Wham!, I knew they were from Britain, mm-hmm. but somehow I thought they came to America, and they did, this was, like, their first album, mm. and here they are on MTV, and we created Wham!, Yes. You know?
2: they came we discovered yes
1: we discovered them they came to america and got their big start yeah but no (laughs) i mean these guys go back to like high school
2: you know Mm -hmm. junior high school yeah well yeah it's also interesting too because i think beforehand i was like okay wake me up before you go go and i'm trying to think Okay, what other songs did they have? And I attributed like "Careless Whisper." I didn't realize that I he didn't ever realize recorded that so was so thought, early. Yeah, I thought that was much later. Me too. And and a lot of these songs, I'm like, you know, freedom, you're a man, freedom. I'm like, oh, these were all Wham! Songs. Like I think because George Michael was this solo artist for so mm-hmm. long, so much longer than he was in Wham. It really did feel like. Oh, George got into this this band called Wham. I always thought the story was he got into Wham, "Wake Me Up Before You Go Go." It's big star. He's the front man. He dumps Andrew right. in the in the trash and runs <laughs> off and becomes the solo artist. And that is not the story at all. It was no. crazy.
1: It's a very long yes, uh, f- long well, story. So
2: they meet when George is eleven and Andrew's twelve in North London, and George is at a new school, and his name is. Georgios Panayotio I don't even know how to pronounce yeah. it. And it's, so, he's from Greece. And Andrew would call Greece. him Yog. Mm-hmm. Right, Yog. That was his nickname for him. And it was the new day of school. It was the first day of school and George shows up and um he's not George yet. He's, he's Georgios. New. He's new. He's new school. and the teacher says, "Who is going to look after this young this boy?" And Andrew raised the hand and said, "Me." And that's really what started things and Mm -hmm. they talk about that like what if he had never raised his hand but you're right that that george felt very awkward and unsure and kind of geeky and andrew was full of charisma and confidence and exuberant and i think that it was the fact i think it was in that moment like picking him that really like and and that there would be no george michael without Andrew originally Being there to say, I see you Mm -hmm. and I think you're special Mm -hmm. and because that's really what it was. Like, Mm -hmm. he didn't feel special anywhere else, but he was the one that said, no, 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 you're special. Mm -hmm. So they started their first band. They said they used to spend all this time together doing um, skits and radio plays, but they start their first band with the two of them and three other guys called The Executive. Um, They were 16 and it was ska music. Um, It was terrible. It ended after a year. So, um, what happened was that they are, so they really were determined to, they wanted to start a band and they, um, they were at this 19, in 1981, they're dancing in the West End Club called Beat Beat Root, which I thought was weird, um, or route. So Andrew all of a sudden starts rapping like wham bam I am your man and they say oh that's a really good name for a band. Wham, let's call ourselves Wham. And they talk about doing this demo tape. They produced it like in their <laughs> in their living room. They produced a a, de- a demo tape for like 20 pounds. And even then, by then they had um they had the Wham rap which was like Wham I am they had hearts of careless whisper mm-hmm. already done and they had this club tropicano tropicana song mm-hmm. and they, but they had like one full song one half song and one like idea of a song and they put it on this demo tape what i thought was really interesting i didn't realize this that the wham, I am the, that song, the rap was very much about what was happening in London at the time, because mm-hmm. in the early eighties, unemployment was rising between, especially for 16, 18 year olds. And there were all these protests. Mm-hmm. So the idea, the music was this idea of, well, we'll say social things about what's happening in the world, but we're going to back it to this poppy disco beat. Right. Almost kind of like, you know, emulating what's happening in the dance clubs then. Um, and so they start they start going around to everybody and they give them the demo tape. No one cares. But Andrew had a family friend, Mark Dean, who um, offers them a record deal. And so then they decide, they incorporate these two girls. One girl is Shirley, Andrew's girlfriend. And then this other woman, Dee Lee, I guess who was, um, because they were trying to be like the human league. They yeah, love the human they league. They
1: were trying to not just stand up there and sing. They wanted to present. They were, you know, they were theatrical. And, yes. And so they wanted to have this way of presenting the music. And so they would sing. They would dance with, with each other. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and they had these two girls that... I don't think the two girls danced. No, the, oh, they danced. Oh, I'm
1: sorry. I, mean, I
2: didn't think the two girls sang. No, right? I don't no, think they, they
1: sang. They just danced. Sorry. They just danced. And they were like a foursome. And it was sort of a way to make a visual presentation and keep people interested be different Mm -hmm.
2: so George um the first single was credited to the writing of Panos and Ridgely so they they said okay you need a you need a you need a stage name you need a stage name and he became George Michael and so they started out they thought they would be a hit right away and they didn't their first song didn't even make it into the top 100 so this is when they started building up this fan base. They were traveling up and down um, the coast of of Great Britain, going to all of these small clubs. And mm-hmm. they, we see all of this. This was the part that I was yeah, like, that's what how I do mean. we have all how this are footage? They, how were they filming? Did
1: they just everywhere they went, someone was filming them? It's not like how it is now where everyone has a camera. I know. No, that was really back odd. then. You all the, ha- I mean, those big, you know,
2: Sony camcorders.
1: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, who is doing all this filming?
2: Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, but yeah, and then they came up with this. They so they needed to build a fan base. They were going up and down, and they were doing it with a bunch of like open other open mic night. You know, you hear George talking about like there were mimes and there, this mm-hmm. kind of act and this kind of act, and I think that he really, you know, it was this idea of them just doing these routines over and over again. And he said, you know, it was tough crowds sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like they did not want to hear these two guys like um, bebopping around. But um, their big break came in November of 1982. They get a phone call. Someone drops out of Top of the Pops. Mm-hmm. And I remember this show, Top of the Pops, because I remember he- reading about it in those, fan- in those, boy ma- those teen mm-hmm. idol magazines about Top of the Pops. So that was kind of like, London's American Bandstand American Bandstand yeah. or Soul Train or whatever yeah. and so that was a big deal like yeah. so, I mean they real that they really lucked out but they performed that song Young Guns which I didn't also again didn't forgot about then it reached to number 3 and they were like these innovative and new and they re-released the Wham Raps and here they were. It was like the summer of 1983. They were twelve. They were twenty years old, and yeah. they were in this like phenomenon. This hit. This band. There was this other song, "Bad Boys." I was like, that reached to number two. What was the first album
1: that they put out? The first album was that was there was one before the "Wake Me Up Before You Go Go." Uh, yes, album. <laughs> Is that the one that had that Tropicana? Yeah, and...
2: I feel like that was the first. One. I can I can look okay. it up. It doesn't matter.
1: But the point is before that album that made them famous worldwide, they were they had a very successful album in
2: yes. in England. Well and so the other thing was that as I mentioned earlier Right. In the 1970s in London, British, it was all about sex pistols and rock and hard rock and and, and going in. And their big thing was like, by 1983, we wanted to start having fun. Mm -hmm. People wanted to have fun and forget about their problems. And that's how they were able to, like, come in and sort of slot in. So they talk about shooting this, um, the video for Club Tropicana in Ibiza. Mm-hmm. Um and you know just having a great time but this is where after the shoot was over they're staying there a couple extra days and Andrew says well George called me and said can you come here and see me and he's like okay um and he gets there and Shirley he and Shirley had broken up but she was there mm-hmm. and um he's like okay why am I here and George tells him I'm gay and he realized, he tells him that he realized six months earlier that he may be gay. And um, George really wanted to, I guess the way I interpreted it was that he really wanted, he wanted to come out, Mm -hmm. but he lost his nerve. And it was almost like he created this new character, like this version of himself to be. And at the same time, that this is happening, Andrew also realizes, again, this is huge for a 20, 21-year-old. Mm-hmm. He realizes, like, I'm not that very good at songwriting. Like, that George, when he writes songs on his own, are so much better than mine. Yeah. And that George really had to take this step over and 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 kind of, like, instead of having to make George tell him that, he just sort of gives it to George. Right. He says, go, do your thing.
1: Um, and also, George was very much into the producing, Yes. So he was, you know, the singer. He was producer. He was songwriter,
2: and yeah, Andrew just said you're better at all of this than yeah. I am. So yeah, he said if we want to be massive, we can't share writing because I think that yeah, Andrew basically was like, I'm holding you back. Like mm-hmm. I'm I'm doing that. So the released album was fantastic. It mm-hmm. Was called fantastic, and it went to number one for two and a half years on the charts. But they were critics didn't really like them. They thought they were, you know, they, they. I think critics tended to like more of the social commentary kind of things, that they were sellouts and shallows. And that, but at the same time, this is when young women started, because they're both cute, mm-hmm. you know, young women started following them. And, um... George was upset because he felt like people weren't taking him seriously as a songwriter. Um, yeah, they, were,
1: the, the, they show all these interviews where they're just asking them about all the girls and, yeah. and women. Or, what oh, I bet you got a lot of, you know. And and that's when it started. You could see in that moment, there was that one interview where the, the woman who's interviewing them is pressing so hard about mm-hmm. all the women and girls. And you see, you can see it in... George's eyes and his face he just kind of accepts it Mm -hmm. and he's like well yeah I guess this is what I could not only can I not come out but if I want to if I want this dream that Mm -hmm. I have I have to act like I like women (laughs) and be flattered and, you know, act like I like all this attention. Because this is 1983.
2: Yeah. The AIDS crisis was just just kind of starting. Mm -hmm. And no, you could not be. That would have the, the career would have been over. And it almost felt like it was this deal with the devil, in a mm-hmm. sense. Like, he wanted this big career. He had all this talent. He he was such a, you know... And when you really do look at the full body of work, you're like, God, you are a really good songwriter. You have written a lot of songs. Mm-hmm. You really do know what you're doing. Um, and uh, so... But the but he had to hide who he was mm-hmm. because there would be no way it, it never would have happened, it w- never would have happened ever. Yeah. And the and
1: and yeah, it's hard maybe for some younger people to understand that honestly, the 80s, like gay rights was not even a thing mm-hmm. like I nobody in my high school anyway um, was openly gay. Mm-hmm. Nobody. You yeah. know, there were people who you kind of thought, oh, yeah, but no no one talked about it. No one was openly gay. Yeah. It was a, a huge stigma. You were, people made fun of it like it was nothing. I mean, it was just, it was, it was still a very, very dark time. Yeah.
2: Well, and yeah, and it was very much that whole time of, because I remember a good friend of mine's mom is gay. And I remember it was like, the mom and her friend, the mm-hmm. live with her them, roommates. her roommate yeah. live with them. And I, and I remember as a kid being like, you have two bedrooms, like you're in one room and your mom and the friend are in this room. Like, I mean, I think even then I was just a little like, you know, I didn't know mm-hmm. because there was just no way to be out. You mm-hmm. could not be out, you know, it just, and so, and I think that this is the other really, really tragic and sad part of when the story and we can talk more about this towards the end, um, but and just I, I'm i so amazed by how Andrew handled everything mm-hmm. just the way I mean, again, he's like 22, so mature, 21, yeah. 22 year old guy. And he's just kind of like, OK, let's do what you want. What do you want to do? Mm-hmm. Like, what, I'll, I, you know, OK, you know, whatever you want to do. So, in 19... Oh, the other thing was that Andrew was really good with style. Mm -hmm. George wasn't. So, Andrew was all about, like, creating the style. And it was all about, like... And that was what was shocking about Wake Me Up Before the Go-Go. Because they wore these short shorts. (laughs) Yes, very short shorts. (laughs) Very short shorts. And the neon uh, sweatshirts. Yeah, it was, like... Andrew was like, okay, we need to color code ourselves. So I'm going to be red or something. Was mm. he red? And George picked yellow. He was like, okay, you know, pick yellow. <laughs> but it was the, 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 I, it, I forgot how the way they dressed, it was just this very mm. sporty kind of like, yeah, just having a great time. So in 1983, October, 1983, they go on their first tour. Um, George is now front and center. Um, and, uh, the big thing was at this point which has happens to a lot of musicians they're they're soaring they've got all these hits they're on the thing but they have no money. Right. They've made absolutely no money. The deal that they signed was in that coffee shop with the other guy was they would get 4% of the singles the royalties from um, singles in the UK and 2% across the globe. And they were like, okay, we need to get a manager. Mm-hmm. So they get a manager, they sign with this new manager. And um, and this is when there's this whole subsection where um, George goes to Alabama to record Careless Whisper with Jerry Wexler, who's this big time producer who produces Ray Charles and Aretha Franklin. But he didn't feel like it was right. He came back, played it for Andrew. Andrew's like, "Mm, yeah, they really really? watered it down. Yeah, like, I don't like this. And so that's when George became the producer. Mm -hmm. You know, again, Andrew encouraging him um, uh, to do it. So then the famous story is, is that George and Andrew are living together. And Andrew writes George this note saying please wake me up up before you go and he's like oh god i did up twice so he's like okay i'll just put go twice mm-hmm. and he left it for him and they're like this is a great song <laughs> this is a great title for a song and that's where it comes out yeah and they do wake me up before you go go which really i'm sorry is a very infectious song oh you, you'll never forget it yeah your entire life so that was the first hit it goes to um number one but the press did not respect them for because of their style, because of the shorts and everything that we talked about. And, you know, George was really trying to produce, you know, trying to be a producer. And one thing that I thought was really interesting is they were talking, I think it was Andrew or was it their manager was talking about it, like how George essentially in the beginning was just copying Andrew. Andrew like mm-hmm. just kind of doing what and like Andrew has all this confidence he's like copying um him and i think it's andrew who talks about this this evolution of, of george's talent right like that that he was copying him and then he eventually got all this confidence mm-hmm. to like do it on his own and find it within himself and but it was also at this time that um that Andrew was realizing like uh I'm just kind of living for the moment. I'm having a good time. I'm partying. And George was much more of I want this. Ambitious. I want yeah. I want to do this. Yeah. Um and then freedom comes out, which obviously is about his sexuality, you know, the freedom to do that. Um but nobody got it. Nobody got no. <laughs> nobody got it because, you know, he was like on the cover of, you know, Teen Beat yeah. or whatever. Well, and I can't and I think George I think George said this. I thought this was so interesting. He said, "I was too young and immature to realize how much or maybe Andrew said this, how much I was sacrificing." Mm. And I think that's really interesting that he was at this place in his life where it was like either I I put this deep inside of mm-hmm. me and and not do anything with it and just pretend to be into women or I give up my talent and and give it all up for mm-hmm. nothing. Oh, and then they go into this whole other thing. We we finally we meet George's father, mm-hmm. which again I was like, how did you get the interviews with this dad? It yeah, was like way back then. Is it dad? Because I know his mother, George's mother, passed away. I'm like, did your father pass away too? Or how did you get all this film? But the father. And Andrew both say that George had a lot of pressure on him. The dad did not like the music stuff. The dad wanted him to be a doctor, an accountant, and that like he like would force him to give up on the music and. George was like, "Oh, okay, maybe." And Andrew would be like, "No, we're not. Give- we are- we have talked about doing this band. You are doing this. This right. is happening." And again, I'm just constantly amazed. Like all these little moments in time where George could have been, there could have been no George oh, Michael. He, he, uh, I mean, imagine, you know, yeah, he wanted to give up so many times. Oh, yeah, he didn't have he did if if he did not have andrew he would not have had the confidence without andrew to do any of this no we like, wouldn't even know the guy's name yeah we wouldn't so then they come to july 1984 this is another big thing that that um uh andrew does which is basically he allow he says you know you can release careless whispers your song mm-hmm. you release it as george michael for wham or whatever like they needed to wham keep... featuring yeah george that's michael right. yeah. so they needed to keep the name wham because not everyone knew george michael but they he just let him have this he was like yeah do it alone yeah and he you did know? that solo
1: video that yes. infamous uh video oh with the
2: chain the yeah <laughs> like
1: hanging onto a rope or yes something i don't know what it is <laughs> Very dramatic. (laughs)
2: Um, Yeah, they came to the... Then they had to come... They came to the U.S. They had to sell themselves as sex symbols and all that stuff. So this was their make-it-big tour, was their tour in the U.S. And that was Mm -hmm. 1984, 1985. They're selling out arenas. Freedom went to number one. Um, You know, he's trying to get some affirmation for... um, you know, his songwriting. And then he comes up with this idea. It's so amazing. Like Andrew talks about it. Like all of a sudden George has this idea and it pops in his head and he runs off and he writes last Christmas. Well, yeah. Cause he had
1: this, they had three number one hits and mm-hmm. he wanted to get a fourth. Yeah. Number one hit by, the, same end of, year. by the end of the year. So yeah, they do this kind of corny. The video was great. Um, this kind of corny video, yeah. uh, cor- what, in the well, Alps. They it's they a the corny Swiss Alps. song. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, <clears throat> in the Alps and they get all their friends together and they basically go up to some cabin and they all have this big dinner and they're actually drinking like real mm-hmm. wine and it's just sort of these scenes of them all talking getting drunk and they're playing this song and then this is the irony of all ironies yeah. okay so the, they release it like the first week of December right in time for Christmas and uh, you know it's doing well climbing the charts and then all of a sudden Bob Geldof, <laughs> God, damn him. God damn him, from the Boom, Boomtown Rats, gets this idea because this is when, you know, there was a huge famine in Africa yeah. and it was all over the TV every night. We're seeing starving children in Africa and the whole world was like moved by it.
2: And we had never seen anything like this before. We didn't know what no, was going on. No. We were like, wait a minute. Children are starving. They have those extended stomachs. Yeah. Like, what? Huh? It was really disturbing. Yeah. And so,
1: Bob Geldof called up, like, everybody in England who was anybody, you know, it was like Bono, and Sting, Sting, Elton John, Elton John, John Bananarama. Yeah. Everybody um, that was
2: big anyone, at that time. Yeah.
1: So, of course, they called Wham. And, um, and they recorded that song. Um, Do they know it's Christmas? And it was, <laughs> yeah, shot up to the top of the charts, which was great because all the proceeds from mm-hmm. it went to African famine relief. But it was like, um, Do they know it's Christmas is number one, and Last Christmas is number two. Yeah. And George is like, Well, I'm not going to get that. I'm yeah. Not going to get the number one. And he was very disappointed. But you know what he did? He then pledged. All the proceeds from that song forever Mm -hmm. to famine relief in Africa. Mm -hmm. So if you hear that, we're coming up on Christmas time. Yes. When you hear that, when you're in a department store. Mm -hmm. Because you will. (laughs) You will hear it. Oh, and this is another uh, uh, PS too. But anyway, so anytime it gets played, they are still getting money. Yeah. And guess what? It did go to number one. This year. No, in 2020. Or last year. In 2020. Or 2020. hmm So, he finally... Yes, you know, it happened. It happened. But that was so ironic.
2: Yeah. You know? Well, and that's where George is talking about his ego. He's like, my ego was getting yeah. in my way. Like, I, I had a hard time, you know, not having those four number one hits. And... um because he really needed the recognition. He, dis, he didn't know this. He wins an award in 1985. It's sort of the Oscars for music. Mm-hmm. Elton John um, presents him with an award for great songwriting. And Elton John, there's an interview with Elton John at that time saying, you know, listen, I'm a songwriter. I know good songwriting. Yeah, like, I know he's what very it, talented. He's very, very talented. And he's 20 what? You yeah. know, I mean, like he was like, I wish I was that talented then. Yeah. Um, and uh, so... And then in April of 1985, they go to China. So mm. at the time, no one was really traveling to China. Um, weren't they the first yes, pop pop band for music? They were the any first kind of... they were the first concert in mainland China wow. ever. And that was a big deal. And and they were there because they were more pop. They were more vanilla. They were controversial. Yeah. yeah. So they they had this clean cut, wholesome image. Um but what was happening is and that and, and and them going to china actually gave a lot of it really helped them in the us cuz the us covered it so much but what andrew was saying was that the character that george had to present was so hard to re- reconcile with what he needed to what he needed emotionally mm. like this this battle was still happening with him and then we see live aid which mm-hmm. remember live aid oh yeah so that was the you know piggybacking off
1: of the song mm -hmm. um they they had Bob Geldof, yeah he organized this huge concert that was telecast like across the world to raise more money for famine relief Mm and so it was a big deal it It was how many days it was like two days
2: or three days I just remember but they were because it was in London was it Wembley Stadium yeah and here there were people performing oh, here, right? In the right. US. I remember everybody did it.
1: Yeah, and it was live streamed before there was yeah. a live streaming. I don't know how that worked. But yeah, all over the world people saw it. It Must have been on television. We didn't have streaming back then. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was a huge deal. And 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 George Michael performed. Yes. Did he perform by himself? No, he performed or with, with Elton John. Don't oh, let Elton the John. sun oh, yeah. go down on me. Elton John invited him to yeah, to be his guest and, and sing with him.
2: And that was a big deal. Yeah, that was huge. Um, So Wham in 1985 goes on this American tour. And this really was, this American tour was the turning point. George realized, um, you know, I'm a massive star, but I'm gay. Mm -hmm. So I've boxed myself in. Like I'm kind of, I'm in this place now and I can't get out. And Andrew basically said, I didn't want to do it anymore. Like I just, I didn't want to do it. He didn't want... You know, he didn't want to feel this pressure to continue to do it, and um, and the other thing was that the, the interesting thing was of how Andrew was portrayed in the media. Because the other thing is Andrew took a lot of crap from people. Mm-hmm. They kinda called him like the lucky guy that got to right. ride the coattails of George Michael, right. not really knowing really what there was going no on George
1: Michael without him. Yeah.
2: And, you know, I think that probably got to him after a while as well. So they decide to break up in nineteen eighty six. They have this big farewell at Wembley Stadium Stadium, huge final concert in um June of 1986, and George knew that he could be a huge solo success, self, success, and um, yeah, they had this big thing, mm-hmm. and they broke up, and it was four years, and it was all very amicable, and um, I think they were, were they, they were together a total of six years with the music, with the music, but they were, they, you know, they knew each other by that point since they were 11 and 12, right. so um Yeah. And he knew this is where I was talking about this in the beginning that that, oh, this was so that that they were going to go their separate ways. And he knew that was going to happen and that that Wham was never going to be middle aged. Right. Wham was always going to be about youth and they knew this was going to happen. And George says this, he says, you know, now I'm on my own. And he had no idea how much he would miss Andrew's support, Mm. like how much that affected him Mm -hmm. of not having him there. So we see at the end these chirons that um, you know is it Chiron the right word? I think so. I hear people say that. So George George Michael uh, as a solo artist has sold more than 120 million records. Last Christmas went to number one in 2020. Mm -hmm. And then George passed away in 2016. He was 53 Mm. from heart disease on Christmas Day. Oh. Even though he loved Christmas, it was so interesting. So, I at the end of this, I wanted to do a little research because I was remembering all this stuff was coming back to me about the, that song, I Want Your Sex. Oh yeah. my God, that song when I was in eighth grade mm-hmm. and like you, we were just, you kind of just, those were those years where you were kind of discovering boys. Yeah, your and sexual we, awakening. Yes. And mm-hmm. we would hang out, my group of friends would hang out with this group of friends of this boy group of friends, mm-hmm. right? We'd all hang out together. And I remember like being at someone's house and putting like that song coming on and like what a big deal it was. We mm-hmm. all loved that song. And Faith, I don't know if you remember this, the album Faith, 1987, you gave me, I got a CD player Ooh. and you gave me that CD. I think oh. it was like for Christmas or my birthday or something. It's a that classic. Was, that was my first, Your first, my very first
1: CD. Well, you know, I always thought... I I don't know why I thought this. Okay, so during these years, this is before he fully came out, Mm -hmm. and he was still dating women. Yes. And that song, I Want Your Sex, was about a woman Uh he had dated. Mm Mm-hmm and um everyone thought it was Brooke Shields I that's what i was saying I always thought it was about Brooke Shields because at the time I don't know if they were dating but they were showing up at things together and everyone was speculating yeah he but, was a real gentleman with her <laughs> he, yeah but but that's the thing it's like but Brooke Shields was the, also going to things with Michael Jackson yes yeah. like she she was do I don't know she was like a beard for yes these people. she was she was and I always thought it was about her because he he couldn't really get her she was too young and uh i don't know and but, she was a virgin a very right, famous virgin. famous version we I'm like, covered
2: the Brooke shields documentary it's yeah it's here so yeah i thought it was about the fact
1: that Brooke shields wouldn't <laughs> have no sex with him <laughs> <laughs> and so then i yeah i was like looking at wikipedia and i'm like no it's not about her at all it's about yeah. this woman he dated and yeah and it was this also he he dated women sometimes there were times when he didn't feel Safe. Well, he hadn't come out yet. Mm-hmm. And he almost contracted HIV from a, a man that he had been seeing, uh-huh. but, but he didn't. And he got kind of spooked. And so then he and he said he's like, I've always been attracted to women. Mm-hmm. I like having sex with women. I don't don't want to be in a relationship with. a yeah. woman."
2: Well, and that was one of the things when he came out to Andrew, he said, I'm not bisexual. I think before maybe he was saying, but I'm not bisexual. I'm gay. And I think, I think for him, he was, which a lot of men do, mm-hmm. and a lot of you know a lot of people do, is they hold on to that bisexuality mm-hmm. label because the other one feels so definitive. I mean, Elton John oh, told God. us he was a, he was a bisexual too. It took too. him
1: forever to come out.
2: Yeah, and he was very very famous. It wasn't gonna really
1: hurt his career. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so what George Michael ended up doing was kind of pushing the envelope. And forcing, and he he even said in an interview that, okay, so here, in I think it was 1998. Yeah, I have,
2: I wrote that down. You're talking about him getting caught. Yeah, Yeah. he was in a public bathroom in Beverly Beverly Hills. Hills. Yes, I've driven by that bathroom so many times. (laughs) Is there a sign there? No, but, so, you know, I was in L.A. from 1997 to 2000, and I worked not far from that bathroom. (laughs) Did you ever use the bathroom? No, no. But it was in a nice part. of. It was in Beverly Hills. It was yeah. nice. But it was so funny because we would drive by it. And that was what that bathroom was known for. <laughs> um, it was so sad, too, because, you know, just how he had to be so closeted. Yeah. But yeah. I guess it was known for cruising. You know, if mm-hmm. gay men, if you went into the if
1: you were a man and you went into the bathroom there, it wasn't because you had to go to the bathroom. Yeah. So he was going in there looking for something and there was an undercover cop mm-hmm. um and so he was arrested and yeah it, it was forced him to come out forced him to come out mm-hmm. it really did and you know i'm sure people at the time were were vicious about it um i can't really remember i mean i
2: think there were always these questions about his sexuality because yeah. he was very this was the other thing is i'm sorry like The, he was very pretty, Mm -hmm. um, his song freedom 90, Mm -hmm. which, um, you know, and the whole reason why he didn't want to be in that video and wanted the supermodels to be in the video is because he didn't want to show his face that I think that when he went on the solo career of that faith album, he had a music video where it was a lot of his butt, like in jeans, that Mm -hmm. faith song was Mm -hmm. a lot of like, baby, you know, and it's that, that, um, and I think that he felt so trapped in this, in this, um, being this pretty boy idol that he was trying to move away from it. And, um, but after, you know, by the time 1998 had rolled around, he wasn't at the same place that he was in the 80s. Right. Do you know what I mean? He like was his much more, sol- so-
1: well, he was, sol- he was solidified yeah. as, a, as a well-respected musician, producer, you know, singer, whatever. And, but it's still, it. it I think it it still hurt him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, he says this. He says it's hard to be proud of your sexuality when it hasn't given you any joy. Mm. I thought it was so interesting. So, I, I I um I did a little. I wanted to find out like what has Andrew been doing this mm-hmm. whole time. So Andrew, shortly afterwards, he moved to um, Cornwall, mm-hmm. and he mar- he married from 1990 to 2017. He married. Uh, he married Karen Woodward from Bananarama, Oh, and they lived in Cornwall. So his net worth apparently is something like $40 million. So he made $10 million royalties from Careless Whisper Wow, alone. That's, I saw this on the internet, so it, take it with a grain of salt. But mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting too, is like he made enough money from all of that. And because, and, and that's the other thing too, is remember the, I don't know, did you ever watch the behind the music of the Go-Go's? Mm-hmm. So that was a big thing with the Go-Go's because two of the five women were the songwriters. Right. And because they were the songwriters, they made so much more money than everyone else. And the other three women were like, we need songwriting credit, too. Mm-hmm. And the other two non you know, the songwriters were like, no, like Jane Weedlin and the other one were yeah. like, we wrote the songs. Like, I'm sorry, but that's just you write a hit song. You know, you figure it out. And I just thought that was so interesting, just how these two respected each other. Like, mm-hmm. George could have taken him right. off, Careless Whisper, and right. not given him anything. And and he could have, and Andrew could have fought every last, you know, I want to be on this song, this song, to so this song. And I didn't realize until I started looking at this how incredibly generous uh, George Michael was. That uh, He was such a... Um, he, let's see, he anonymously... Um, he, until... It wasn't until after his death that people really realized how much he was donating to charity and how much he was doing. Mm -hmm. He anonymously, he saw a woman on TV and he anonymously donated thousands of dollars to her to get IVF treatment. Mm. And it wasn't until after she had the baby that it was revealed that he was the one that helped her. He like sent her flowers and then anonymously helped her. He did free concerts for nurses, for homeless shelters, for struggling moms. He, um... I read something else where someone mentioned how everyone, you know, his staff and everyone was so incredibly kind, which I always think that if your staff is kind, mm-hmm. then that means your boss is kind. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and Andrew, too. Andrew what is like, out there biking, doing these bike rides for charity. Mm-hmm. Like, they both were incredibly um, giving people. And the last thing is, is that George talks about his one, his big love was this guy, and Ferraro. Philippa. Mm-hmm. And they met. And then six months later, um, Anselmo was diagnosed with HIV. And, it, and, and there's an interview with George talking about it, sort of like, I finally find love. Mm-hmm. I finally find like this, This I, I'm in love and I'm feeling vulnerable and free. And then six months later, he's diagnosed with HIV and then he dies shortly after that. And then his wow. mother died. And he said that really was his worst time where he got into A really, really dark place. And he had, you know, he had problems was he was he had legal issues with drug possession, driving under the influence. He spent Mm. four months in jail. Like Mm. he's had some ups and downs, but you know, it's it's really when you take a step back and look at him and look at everything that he's done, I'm just I'm blown away. I had I was never this much of a George Michael fan until now. I'm just Mm -hmm. I'm wowed. No, I mean, he's just he and Andrew are just both
1: the most decent people. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing that this business, especially when you're at that level. It's hard to be that way and to stay that way. And, you know, I feel like they never changed their values, you know, Mm -hmm. from from when they were, you know, kids. And
2: yeah, I don't know what to say. It's 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 sad. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, it's it's. What's so heartbreaking about it is if he was alive, if he was born today, that he would be able to be out. Mm He would be, it would be, he would, it would be a totally different thing. Um, And that's hard, you know, that's hard to, to think about and to recognize. I also think, you know, there's this saying that, right, when, in terms of like addicts, you know, the minute you start using, when you get clean, you kind of revert back to that age. So if you started using drugs at 15, you know, you basically have the mentality of a 15 year old Mm -hmm. until you get clean and start to, you know, work on yourself. Um, They say that same thing about being famous. And these two guys who really, if you take a step back and look at it, like they were, they were, they didn't struggle that long. They basically, quote unquote, struggled for like a couple years years, and then Wham was huge for four years. Like these, you know, in many ways, you could see how these two could get stuck as 20 year olds Mm -hmm. and never grow. But at the same time, you're like, oh, my God, this maturity. and But they they, they were were so mature. They were more mature than most. You know, 40-year-olds at yeah. 20. Yeah. So, yeah. But just the fact that they never got... Because they had the makings. They had the makings of two people that could have really become real egomaniacs. Yeah, totally. Really. Because, again, they didn't struggle that hard. And they were very, very young. And obviously, George had some real natural talent. Like, mm. real true natural talent. So, y- you can see how it would be very easy for them to be just giant assholes, basically. Yeah so this was a great documentary if you haven't seen it
1: you should you should watch it especially if you're a gen
2: xer Um, oh yeah god just or any yes yes it's definitely will take you back in time if you're a gen xer but if you're a younger please go check it out if you don't know the music of george michael it's good music i'm telling you faith that song gets stuck in my head all the time like he had a lot of hits oh yeah his um solo stuff is
1: was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then even after he came through like a lot of his struggles and he made an album not that long ago that was
2: it was good too. It mm-hmm. was a little more serious about I love that Freedom 90 song. Oh, I always love that my, song. That's one of my favorite songs yeah, of all time. It's a great song. And um yeah, I mean, and his and his music. The other thing too is, is that if you listen to the music of faith and, and some of these later songs, you it's different than wham like Mm -hmm. he really was able to evolve like Mm -hmm. he really was able to go okay wham was this one thing like okay now i'm gonna do this and i think we see that a lot with artists that can't evolve they can't like they they really don't have that much in them they just they have a couple songs and that's it Mm -hmm. but you could see how prolific and smart and talented he was yeah R.I.P. George yes, Michael. Yes, yes. You're, you're, so you're one of the good ones. And 53. He died of like heart disease, like fatty liver, and but it could it could be attributed to alcoholism, but or just drug use in
1: general. Yeah. I mean, all like a lot of these. Um, oh, who was it who just died from? You know, like Matthew s- Perry. Yeah, Matthew Perry. You know, years and years of you know Whitney Houston. Mm-hmm. She she died. She had when. When they did her autopsy, mm-hmm. they they said her heart was just shot. Mm. And, you know, and she could have had a heart attack in the bathtub, she could have passed out in the bathtub. I don't know, but eventually mm-hmm. she probably would have had a heart attack. Yeah. Because it just destroys
2: your organs. And um, and that's yeah. the other thing, too, with some of these people who live and die is really like when they have the heart attack. Right. Because we all know of situations. I know of a story of someone who was at a baseball game, his son's baseball game, and he all of a sudden started to have a heart attack. And because one of the other dads was yeah, um, a doctor, doctor, it saved him. He would have been dead. He'd be dead right, right now. Right. So I also think there's something about right like when these things luck. happen yeah, luck alarming. of where you know if he b- because he was alone mm-hmm. no one was there to help him yeah and so true. and so and it that and that's the part that feels like such a waste of that he spent so many it's years feeling tortured yeah that's, not like himself that's painful that statement he made about yeah. you know, how
1: it's hard to feel it's hard to feel good about yourself when yeah every day you wake up and you're making these calculated thoughts and decisions about well, how am i going to handle this how am i going to maneuver mm-hmm. this and that's exhausting
2: well and also right like how how do you then want to fall in love or you know if you if this thing has made you feel like if anyone knows that i'm attracted to men my whole life would be over and people would you know um ridicule me it's really hard to want to like fall in love yeah. and you know celebrate that part of who you are right and um and and you could see in the documentary how much andrew knew that and how how much he cared about him and how much he he felt so awful mm-hmm. you know
1: oh and you know he was just inducted into the rock and roll yes of yes this, and andrew accepted week. it for him right i'm not sure because they filmed that they filmed it this weekend but it won't air for like Another oh. um, month or two. Okay. I thought I read something that Andrew Andrew oh, was he, there I'm and, sure,
2: gave, oh, and gave the I'm, speech. I'm
1: positive he would be there. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure he did. But well deserved.
2: Yeah, and I just love the fact that they were you know playing Scrabble. Yeah. <laughs> Up until a week. Yeah. Andrew says I was we were playing Scrabble. He just beat me. I was thinking of my plan of attack of how to beat him, and I get this news. Mm. Yeah. Oof, boy. Anyway, anyway. so thank you so much for tuning in. If you like this podcast, please give us a five-star review, um, rating and review. Um, if you have not already subscribed, please subscribe. And uh you can follow us on social media at Psych Legal Pop at um either TikTok or Instagram. We are continuing with our Sister Wives coverage. Um, we're doing season 18. We put those out on Tuesdays. We will continue to do these documentaries and various other things on Thursdays. Uh we'll get back to our Sister Wives rewind just as when season 18 is over. There's just so much Cody we can handle. Um Anything else? No. I think okay. Does it. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Bye.
0: Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life.